Today we're going to be talking about the action code. This is the plots and events in our world and how they affect everything else. Remember, we're not talking about the connective tissue between them yet or the mysteries that they inspire. We're breaking this all up into parts. And part of what we're going to be discussing today is Tim Hickson's Eight Steps to Constructing a Fictional World History. This is very important and connects to a lot of the things that we're going to be doing later. So let's talk about that on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And if I sound a little bit weird today, it's because today's an anomaly day. It's over 80 degrees outside with really high humidity. So yeah, it, it's a bit sweltering here in America's heartland. And in order to talk to y'all so that you can actually hear me and don't have a lot of annoying sounds in the background, I have to turn off all the fans. And so I will be increasingly getting warmer and warmer and warmer throughout the course of this recording. Um, but don't worry, it'll be okay. I do have the air conditioning on. It's just, it tends to stay away from me. And I have to use fans to bring it my way because our central fan does not really centralize. So if I sound a little bit weird, that's why. Alrighty, let's just jump into all of this glorious world building. First of all, if you haven't noticed, if you haven't been following along over on World Anvil, I am building up my Princess Rescue Squad setting over there. And I'm using all of the elements that we've talked about here over there for y'all to see. And I'm trying to highlight them and make them clear to you so that you can get an idea of how this all works. So yesterday I was actually able to publish the very first, the very first story in my new setting. It's a retelling of Grimm's fairy tales, The Seven Ravens. And it's one of the linchpin stories in my setting, which is a steampunk kind of YA fantasy world where all the fairy tale princesses get together to save the world from the forces of darkness. And as it, I'm doing the world building for the project and in preparation for that, I'm of course having to retell a lot of the fairy tales and I'm having so much fun with it. The next one that goes up should be my retelling of the crystal ball. So, Oh, I'm just, I, I'm just too excited. So it's a very good example of what we're talking about here and actually several of the other codes that we're going to be going into because it is the summary section of that article is the action code. It is the basic elements that happened in the other po portions of the article that was posted over there. You'll be able to see how it connects to other things, the enigmas that are inherent in the, in the story. And all of that are brought out in there. It's a fairly short read and kind of shows you all five codes in one article. So 
I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you to check out, not just as a self-promo, but if you, you listen to all five codes, my overview yesterday, and you're like, well, how does that all work story-wise and world-building-wise, you'll be able to see how all five are present in this one article. And you'll once you learn to see it, it's like learning to see the matrix. You'll start seeing it in every article that you write, every story that you write, every <laughs> everything that you do going forward. But today, we're talking about the action code. And I want to give a particular shout out to Tim Hickson, who has the wonderful YouTube channel, Hello Future Me. And if you're not watching it, you should. It's an amazing show. He also released a wonderful book called On Writing and World Building Volume 1, which is a collection of stuff that he's talked about on the channel and stuff that he hasn't. It's a very good book. I highly recommend it, especially if you're interested in world building. Today, we're going to be exploring the action code using his eight elements of constructing a fictional world history. So what is the action code? Let's do a brief refresher in case you don't remember, or this is your first episode. And if it is, welcome. I have a playlist over on Spotify with all of these episodes included in it, and you can just go back and see, see them in the feed, because I'm doing them all together, and they're all side by side. The action code, or as Barth called it, the proheretic code, is basically the events. This is what most people think about when they think about world building. Okay, so I need to figure out this point and that point and that point and that point and that point, and they forget the other surrounding parts. And the one and the main reason I want to bring somebody else in here is because Tim's idea for world building is so powerful and so simple that it will change your world for the better. So in our action code, we're talking about the plot synopsis for our novels, for our stories. This is the backstory elements that enhance the reader's experience. These are the cliffhangers, the unresolved elements of the story. Anything that causes a reader to ask what happens next, that is part of the action code. So, and I'll include a lift, a, a, a lift, a gif, a lift. See, I can't talk today. It's the heat. It's already starting to get me. Um, a link to the GIF, and actually I think it's a JPEG, that um, Tim made to lay this out very clearly and easily for you. So step one, we need to identify our anchors. This is something that if you've been following along our world building project since episode one, that's what we were doing back then. When you remember when we were hunting down our, our, our fascination and concentrating it down into a subject and even further into the quintessential, this is the first step that he has here. We need to identify the elements we care about. For example, with Tolkien, it was linguistics. For J.K. Rowling, I would say it's more the relationships that she cared about more than the magic or any of the other elements. You really see a focus in her writing on the relationships between the characters and not so much on some of the other things that take place in the story. Um, not a criticism, just try. I, I've, I've said some very critical things of J.K. Rowling, so I feel like I need to be clear when I'm talking about her. Um, I love Harry Potter. 
got putter stuff all over the house. I'm actually wearing a Deathly Hollow shirt right now. I just wish she wasn't transphobic. Anyway, um, back on topic. Um, Dune, for example, is ecology. Ecology was one of the main things that Frank Herbert was obsessed with. And when you actually read the books, unlike the movies or the TV shows or anything else, there's so much about the sand trout and the worms and arrakis and how everything works and how everything is interconnected. And that concept of interconnectedness and the ecology is why his work is a planetary romance, not a space opera. Because Dune, Arrakis, Desert Planet, is as much a character in the setting as anybody else. It's, it's probably more of a character than some of the actual characters in there. You also need to identify the events necessary to frame your story. So this is also what we talked about previously in the earlier episodes when we did our Steps of the Passage. For me, in my story, in the Princess Rescue Squad stories, the inciting incident for the setting is the Queen of Seven Ravens. It's the story that I posted yesterday. It is the moment at which our history really begins. It's not the direct cause of everything, but it's the moment before which we kind of don't need to know what happened. Should we learn what happens back there? All the better. More, more's the fun. But it's literally the precursor to the events that changed the dating in the calendar in the world. So it's the main focus. Step two, the six different lenses. This to me is where he really, really understands this. And one of the places that I really want to focus on for today, we will go through his other steps in future episodes. Don't think that I'm neglecting them. But as far as we're talking about today with our action code, these lenses will help you make a rich world that feels lived in. Because that's where a lot of fantasy and science fiction falls apart. And where some romance really falls apart. It's, it's the problem with, again, not to dig on Harry Potter or J.K. Rowling, but it's why the Wizarding World movies have had a hard time finding their footing. Because she only focused on one of these six lenses. So when we have to go to a different time with different characters in different circumstances, it's hard to make it feel like part of the Wizarding World because we didn't have all of this other worked out ahead of time. And remember, that's what we're trying to do more than anything else is get our pre-work done so everything else can just be fun. So in my setting, like I said, the Queen of the Seven Ravens is one of the inciting incidents for the setting for the world. It is not the inciting incident for the novels that I'm going to be doing, nor is it the main causal effect for the world itself. Unless you're writing something like Tolkien, where you need a Melkor that leads to a fall and a war and a before time that then gives us a Sauron, which leads to a war and another before time, which then leads to the War of the Rings that then leads to the Fourth Age. Unless you're telling a story like that, that event that happened almost 2,000 years ago in my setting will have only a small effect on the story that takes place. 
but it is a foundational myth. It is a foundational understanding. And of course, the rumors that even all this time later, the queen, the Raven Queen, is still alive and still active and still trying to gain control of the world. All of those things will be in the minds of the characters and thus should be in my mind as well. So I need to understand her story, even though it happened so long ago. Now, the six lenses are a way to make our world feel connected, to make it feel like it works. And so when we're doing our world building, as we're devising how everything works, we need to be looking at our world through the lens of its culture, its economics, its politics, its religion, its technology, and its geography. These things will have a major and a stunning effect on everything else that happens in the story. It will change and alter how people react to each other, how people interact with each other, and how the world comes about. Often, the events that happen in each of these through lines will be independent from each other, though there can be some overlap. Politics will affect culture. Culture will affect politics. Economics will affect politics and culture. Religion will have an effect on everything. So will technology. So will geography. But in many respects, these are going to be parallel storylines moving through your setting and taking the time and putting in the energy and the effort to separate them out so that we see what's happening with their, our culture with our economy, with our politics, with our religion, with our technology, and with our geography, really, really does help. It will highlight the, some of the things that gets lost in the world when we just focus on the things that we want to focus on. Because let's be honest, when we initially had our ideas, it was probably for an interesting culture or an interesting political situation or war that would be breaking out or some kind of fanciful religion or technology or would it be weird if a society existed in this kind of a world and so it involves the geography a lot. But if we don't take the time and energy and effort as we're telling our story, as especially as we're doing our world building, to figure out how these independently operate and how they work together, we will not have a vibrant living world. And I know it sounds like a lot of work, and I'm not saying that you have to have a full detailed history for each of these of when the currency came into use and who did it and who all the heads of the central bank in your world have been. You don't have to be that detailed. You just need to know. So, for example, the spice must flow. Now, spice, the spice melange in the Frank Herbert's Dune books, is central to everything. So, this being one of our central elements, we see how its impact is different on culture. For example, the Harkonnens use spice to extend their lives, and they pay the price for it. They, they, they're not the best sort of people, because their use of the spice is accentuated by their greed, their lust, and their desire for control. The Fremen, on the other hand, live with the spice. They revere the spice and the worms that make it, and you can see how it changes their culture. You can see this in the culture of the Bene Gesserit, you can see this in the inf inflected in the culture of the Spacing Guild. 
all of the elements in the world have some part of their culture changed by the spice. Economics would not be the same without it. The spice must flow is not just a nice thing like may the force be with you. If the spice doesn't flow, ships don't move. The empire will collapse. The economy will stop. This is actually a big plot point in later books in the Dune series. The spice must flow, and it affects our, our economics vastly. And that's, at least at this point in our world building, the only thing we need to know. The main economic engine of the galaxy is the spice. Okay, I know that. I can move on. Politics. All politics revolves around the spice. Whoever controls Arrakis controls the empire. Baron Harkonnen says this numerous times. Leto Atreides says this. Leto II really understands this and takes it to heart when he goes on the golden path. <sighs> that, if you ever want to do a Dune breakdown, we can do like a full, like, crazy series on Dune. Some of my favorite books. But you can definitely see how it affects the politics of the world. The religion. The entire religion of Moadib is built around the spice. If, if, it, if Paul had not partaken of the waters of life, if Paul had not become the Kwisatz Zadarak, if he had not been the one in, who was able to go to multiple places, none of the other events in the story would have happened. Spice is very important, not only to the religion of the Fremen, but of the Bene Gesserit. And we can see how it works its way into both. Technology. The entire spacing guild exists because of the spice. Space travel itself would not exist if it were not for the spice. Many medicines wouldn't exist without it. You can see how it affects technology and geography. Spice is only available in one planet. The planet Arrakis. And every time they try to move a sandworm to another world to start up production there, the worms die. So Arrakis becomes our central focus of our story. And in your first pass, because remember, we're doing an iterative process. World building is iterative. It is not set in stone. You do a pass, you move on, you come back, you build up more, and you keep doing in this ebb and flow and ebb and flow. And that's how you get to a vibrant world. You get lost in world building when you tell yourself, I have to have this completely figured out before I can move forward. No, you don't. You need to have what you have now that's good enough to do the next part, and then you move forward. These six aspects, these six lenses, will inform what you need to be looking at while you are setting up your world, while you're putting your action code into practice. Without them, your world will be empty, it will be flat, it will not have the power that you want it to have. It can still be good. Don't get me wrong. There are many, many, many books that I have loved and series that I've loved. The Wizard, a Wizard of Earthsea. In culture, politics, kinda. But a lot of the other things here, it doesn't care about. And it's fine. And it works fine without them. I... I the Conan books, which I absolutely love, ignore most of this. A lot of stories can get by without them. But remember, 
our goal here is to create a world that we can tell numerous stories in. So we only have to do the world building once and then have an infinite font of stories we can tell out of it. If that's not your goal, if you know for 100% that you don't need to understand how the economy works or the technology, if you feel that you need to leave it aside, leave it aside. But I will tell you, you will be better off considering it. Because think about how awkward it is in the seventh book in the Harry Potter series when all of a sudden we see Ron tapping his wand on a radio. Now, we've seen radios before at Christmas when um, Mrs. Weasley is listening to Celestina do her Christmas show. But we don't have any explanation of it. We don't have any explanation of it later. It is an element that suddenly pops into the series. Technology pops in and out all the time. They have a car. They have an enchanted car. They shouldn't have had an enchanted car. The ministry gives them an enchanted car. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's one of the inconsistencies that you may or may not notice. If you want to ensure that your world doesn't have that, this is how you ensure that. You build it in while you're building the world so that when you're telling the story, the rules are in place. And don't think you have to have all the rules in place. As Remember, this is an iterative process. As you do each story, those stories will further your world building. Right now, we're just looking at getting that base coat down so that our world is beautiful and ready to be lived in. So tomorrow, we're going to be going into the Enigma code and continuing our look at the four codes. We will come back to this, um, to Tim Hickson's world building history as it flows into this. And we'll also be including some of the ideas of N.K. Jemison, who really has a lot to say about world building, and we'll get to all of that. I hope you're enjoying this series. I've been hearing from a lot of you that you are, and that just warms my heart and makes me so, so happy. Thank you to everybody who's listening, and especially to everybody who's been sharing the podcast. That really does mean the world to me. I've been spending money over the years advertising the show to try to get the word out, because that's the hardest thing as a podcaster, to, is to get the word out about what you're doing. You, you help me more than you know by sharing what I'm doing. So thank you. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear on the show, in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. Alrighty, what else? Eh, if you have any money right now, which I feel really awkward, especially in these times, talking about this, if you're listening to this in the far future, we're going through a kind of a pandemic lockdown thing right now. If you do have anything that you can spare in the show notes, you'll find a link to both my Patreon and the listener support. Thank you so much to everyone who does that. And if you can't, don't worry about it. It's fine. I do this for the love of doing it. But as always, it, it, it'd be nice to be able to pay all my bills. <laughs> It just, you know, you know how it is, but don't feel any pressure. Just like I said before, if you can share the, the podcast, that, that helps out more than you know. Alrighty. I, I guess that's it. 
So tomorrow we will be going into the enigmatic code. And until then, stay home, stay safe, stay well, and don't forget to have the fun. Bye.